Hallelujah. Are you all ready? The prophetic word for 2022, I felt, was that it was going to be a year of power and a year of purpose, a year of principle, and a year of prayer. And uh, many people watching and blessed. I was um, just really inspired this week. I was chatting with Denise via WhatsApp, and she said it was very much on her heart from last year. And so part of her wishes for 2022 for friends and family was, may it be a year of power and purpose. And she said, you couldn't believe it when she got here and I started preaching, and the first two points were power and purpose. And so we have the witness of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that right? And so remember I said that power comes through an intimate knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So this morning I want to just go into it a little bit about the subject that I want to talk about is knowing God. Now this would be probably a six-month series, you know, if we were to go into it, but I'm going to try and condense it into one, maybe two next week. Yeah, one series. But knowing God. So we need to know God. Is that okay? And it was Paul's determined purpose was to know God. It's really interesting Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, I spoke about it last week. Daniel said, And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. In other words, it's talking about a ruler that was coming that would flatter the people of God who would then turn away from the covenant they had with God. So if we put it in our language, basically would be that we would give in to the temptation of the world and we would compromise the word of God. And he shall corrupt by flatteries, but the people that do know their God. So in other words, it will start with people that do not compromise the word. So that's where it starts. The people that know their God shall be what? Shall be strong. So Daniel 11.32, the people that do know their God. Everyone say know God. So it's those that know God shall be strong and do great exploits. And so the knowledge of God is where the power comes from. And to to know God is primary. God wants us to know him. It's the whole reason why he sent Jesus, so that we could know him. Because Jesus came to reveal the Father. So he wants us to know him so much that he gave his only begotten son so we could know the Father. So listen. And the term God and the term Father is very different in the point that Father is far more intimate term than God. God is a generalization. God is almost like an idea. I know it isn't. But that's why Paul is very specific when he talks about the God that he's referring to because he refers to him as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that okay? So listen, God doesn't want you to know him only as God. He wants to be known as God in all of his power, his omniscience, and that kind of thing. But more particularly, because it doesn't detract from his power and his wisdom and knowledge and things like this. He wants us to know him as Father. Is that okay? And so he wants to bring us into an intimate relationship with himself. Paul Right towards the end of his life, the great apostle Paul, probably second to Jesus, you know, as far as someone that knew God, that did great things, says this in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, he says, this is writing towards the end of his life, he says, that I may know him. He has a guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, 
had such insight into the mysteries that had been kept hidden for ages and generations past. And you can read about it in the first six verses of Ephesians chapter 3 when he says, you know, when you read this book, you will understand the administration of God's grace that he gave to me to reveal to you, to help you to understand the mystery of God, the mystery of God, namely Christ. And he uses the word in those verses, the word revelation, because I got a revelation of it. And so Paul's whole ministry was to unveil and reveal Christ. All of the other prophets through the Old Testament, you know, Christ was hidden. He was a mystery. But now Paul says, the mystery that was kept hidden for ages and generations has now been revealed in Colossians. He says, and that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul says this towards the end of his life, that I might know him. Well, what are you talking about? I mean, you knew him. Towards the end of his life, he realized how much more of God there was to know. He said it in the book of um, Colossians. He said, you know, my determined purpose is to present every one of you perfect in Christ. But in order for me to do that, he said, I need to sow fellowship in his sufferings and fill up in my flesh of the sufferings of Christ that I can make him known to you. And Paul was still pressing in and saying, there's so much more. I need to know God more. Every one of us has a degree of the knowledge of God, but let's call it knowing God better. Because I don't want to imply that you don't know God. You do, to a measure. But like the Apostle Paul, there's still so much to find out. <laughs> there's still so much to know about him. So I want to give you three points. Number one, knowing God is pure grace. It's only a gift of grace that we can know God at all, because he's a mystery. Before we knew God, we didn't know God. I know that sounds really obvious, but we couldn't know him. We couldn't. It was impossible to know God, because the finite human mind needs help. It's lost. It's trashed. It's broken. It's finite. It's bound up in sin. It's been broken. And so in order for us to have a knowledge of God, it takes a recreative work inside of us. Is that okay? So when Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, when he tells us that you have the mind of Christ, that's something you didn't get by just being born into this world and in a family and you grew up one day and you realized you had the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is something that the Spirit of God gives you. So it's a work of His grace. Grace starts with God, not us. He initiates everything, including our knowledge of Him. Because God knows us first, and because He knew us first, He knew what we needed. And what we needed, more than anything, was to know Him. Okay, so that's the first thing that He knew about us. We do not make friends. This is uh, James Packer, a great theologian, says this. We do not make friends with God. God makes friends with us. Our first importance is that God knows us. He first knows us before we can know Him. Okay, so many verses come to mind. 1 John chapter 3, when it talks about, you know, beloved, what manner of love the Father has for us, that He, you know, has called us children of God or sons of God, and that is what we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is because it didn't know Him. And He says, now are we the sons of God. 
What we will be doesn't yet appear, but we know this, that when we see him, we shall be like him, and we'll know him as we are known. Another verse. Is that okay? So in other words, the knowledge of God, the fact that God knows us is a good start. And it's only because he knows us we can know him. It's a little bit like because he loves us, we can love him. So everything about our Christian lives is a response to God's grace in the fact that he chose to reveal himself to us. Are we all good? So knowing God is grace, but more than that, knowing God then is life. But it all begins with him. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-seven. Listen to what Jesus said. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, comma, and, praise God for the and, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Isn't that awesome? You know him because he chose to reveal the Father to you. Don't you feel privileged? I mean, that's really amazing. Now, that word reveal, that word reveal there is the Greek word apocalypto. So it's apocalypto, which means to reveal. It means to unveil. It means to disclose something that was a secret. And so that's what Jesus did for us, okay? In Matthew eleven twenty seven. So he opened the Father for us. He helps us to know God. Now, this is all good, but we need to build on this. Listen to this. Jeremiah 24, verse 7. And you can read it later in Jeremiah 29, and I think you can read it in Ezekiel 31. You can definitely read it in the book of Hebrews, where God says, the time is coming when I'll make a new covenant with my people. And he says, I will write my laws on their hearts. In other words, I'll take out the stony heart. To me, that's an indication that you can't know God through the law. It doesn't bring revelation. So he takes out the stone heart, the law heart, and he gives us a flesh heart. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3, it's the flesh heart that the Holy Spirit works with. Okay? Because he writes on that heart, not with ink, but by his Spirit, And he puts his laws into our hearts and minds. And God says this, and there's sin and unrighteousness, I'll remember more. And he says, and they shall all know me. Everybody say no. So Jeremiah 24 verse 7, he says, I will give them a heart to know me. So in other words, God will give you a heart to know him. A heart to know him. It's more than the mind. It involves the heart. It's something that starts on the inside of us. And he says, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with their whole heart. Everybody say whole heart. Now, I'm writing these things here and, and, uh, because we're developing something. So I'm just picking things out. So they will know me with their whole heart. Their whole heart. So here we go. Are you all good? So the first thing is, the fact that we can know God is an act of God's grace. We can only know him. Because he, first, he reveals himself to us. Now, listen, church. We're talking about knowing God 
better. Which means that this doesn't stop. He's continuing to reveal himself to us, to disclose into our hearts, but he wants our whole heart. Second thing, knowing God is personal. This might sound obvious. So knowing God is personal. It it is a personal thing. Just like knowing a person is personal, the same way knowing God is personal. You don't have a relationship with somebody through someone else. You have a relationship with that person. The relationship principles that determine our relationship with God is exactly the same as our human relationships. Everything that it requires to have a relationship with a person are the same things that are required to have a relationship with God. So God is personal in the sense that He is a personality, in the sense that He has knowledge. I could almost say it like this, and I understand God is not physical, but God has got a brain. God sees. God smells. God hears. God feels. God speaks. And so we relate to God exactly the same way that we relate to people. It's amazing that a lot of Christians know what it takes to keep and build good relationships with other Christians, but they know very little about having a relationship with God. And part of the issue is because he's invisible, but that doesn't detract from the fact that it's the same principles. So it's personal. It's not just knowing about God, and I'm sure you've heard this a thousand times. You can know President Ramaphosa because you watch ENCA, or you read the book of his life, or you followed his political career from way back. You can know the president, but you don't have a relationship with him. There's a lot of Christians that know God, but that's theology, because they study the Word, and they have a knowledge of God through theology. Listen, knowing God is more than theology. Is that okay? And so, knowing God is personal. It goes beyond the study of the Bible. And it's a two-way relationship, and it's not just a one-way relationship. James Packer says this, You can have all the right notions in your head without ever tasting in your heart the realities to which they refer. And a simple Bible reader and sermon hearer who is full of the Holy Ghost will develop a far deeper acquaintance with his God and Savior than more learned men who are content with being theologically correct. Okay, that's a good place to say amen. Okay? And so I want you to just, let's have a look at this verse. Mark 1, Mark chapter 1, verses 23 and 24, and I've got this in the New International Version. Just then, one translation says, immediately, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out. What did he cry out? Verse 24. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now listen, church. This demon knew who Jesus was. Now I want to say two things about it. That information was extremely accurate. He had an accurate theological knowledge of who Jesus was 
but he was an unclean spirit. And he said, you are the Holy One of God. Now, as we're looking at that verse and considering the fact of its accuracy, number one, number two, it was more accurate than the knowledge of the scholars of the day, the scribes and Pharisees, because they did not recognize that Jesus was the Messiah, the Holy One of God. Come on, church. Doesn't James tell us that even the devil believes and trembles? So we're talking here now about a different level of knowledge. Is that okay? And these are some of the things that I want to talk about this morning. Because the demons were confessing, you're the Holy One of God. You've come to destroy us before our time. We know who you are. Isn't it amazing? Seven sons of Sceva tried to cast out demons and they said, hey, you know, Jesus we know. Paul we know. I'm going to be a little bit crass. Who the hell are you? <laughs> Forgive me, you know, but who are you? And they jumped on the seven sons of Sceva and beat them up. Why? They had respect for someone who knew God. The seven sons of Sceva knew the name of Jesus. They knew theology. They did not know God. Come on, church. 2022, a year of power. And that power comes from an intimate knowledge of God. And they are the ones that shall be strong and shall do great exploits. Are you following? All right. And so it's not that. Furthermore, we need to go a little bit further. So that was Mark 1.24. So it needs to be personal knowledge, all right? So that's what I'm talking about, not knowing about. So let's have a look at Romans 1.21. In this passage, Paul is talking about everybody in the world. He's talking about Jew and Gentile, basically. In Romans 1.21, it says... For although they knew God, everybody say knew God, there it is, they neither glorified Him as God, number two, nor gave thanks to Him. And so Paul talks two things. Number one, they did not glorify God. Number two, they did not give thanks to Him. It's really amazing that in the book of Ephesians, the basic theme of the book of Ephesians, or one of the sub-themes, is given to us in chapter 1. And it's in chapter 1, verse 6, chapter 1, verse 12, and chapter 1, verse 14. And those three times, in a few verses, Paul talks about the fact, as he's unfolding this great salvation, he says God's whole purpose is that it may result in the praise of His glory. Because he talks about, in love He predestined us to be adopted as His sons, through Jesus Christ. Okay? And then it goes, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us. Verse 12. And then he says the same thing. In order that we were the first hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. Verse 14. It tells us again, who is a deposit, the Spirit, is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of our bodies or of us who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. So Paul tells us, if we go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But listen to this, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay, so their thinking was futile, 
Now, it's really amazing. Jeremiah tells us that God is giving us a heart to know Him so that we can serve Him with our whole heart. Paul says that their thinking was futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. I'm going to comment, and I know it doesn't apply to anyone here. So listen, they did not glorify God. They did not give thanks to Him as God. Their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts became darkened. Listen, church, in order to know God better, our thinking needs to change. If our thinking changes, our foolish hearts, because the fool says in his heart there is no God. So the folly is to deny God in some aspect or several aspects. So in order to change our hearts from foolish hearts to whole hearts, we need to grow in grace and in the knowledge of God, Peter says. So in other words, this is not our total state as Christians. This is not our total state. But there could be areas where our thinking is futile and our hearts are still darkened and there's a folly there. Now, we'll come on to the, some of the solutions just now. Is that okay? I'm going to give you the better news. This is the good news. But the first thing that I wanted to share with you is that it's personal. It's personal. We need to know God personally. You cannot glorify God as God if you don't know Him personally. If you know God personally, you will glorify Him as God. In other words, you will get such an understanding of who God is, of what He can do, of what He's done in your life. You start to understand His nature. And then suddenly the Bible changes from a book of rules. Okay, what does God want? What does God want to? I know what God wants because I understand Him. Is that okay? I mean, you know, when we were children, part of the purpose of discipline with our children is to train them according to a set of principles that are whole, wholesome, and godly. And that's why we put boundaries there. And sometimes the boundary needs to be reinforced to the seat of the understanding, to open the ears of the learning, you know, and all that kind of thing. But part of it is that eventually they don't have to come and say, Mom, can I? Dad, can I? They know what they can do and what they can't do because they've been trained by the characters of their parents. They know then what's right or wrong. Is that okay? Our kids were raised in church, you know, and when our oldest son, Ryan, first went out with his buddies to have a beer, he kept it a big secret from us. Why did he keep it a secret from us? Because he knows. Because he knew the character and nature of his mom and dad. It's not something we did. So I remember one year, we went on holiday to Zim's, and um, Ed and Sylvia were head ushers then, Auntie Sylvia still prays for me. I think it's 36 or 37 years that every morning, 7 o'clock in the morning, I get a birthday wish from Auntie Sylvia. And on my birthday, 7 o'clock in the morning, on my birthday, and then also on Christmas and on New Year. Hi, Pastor John, Sylvia here. I just want to wish you a happy birthday. I just want to wish you Christmas. I want to wish for 36, 37 years she's been doing that faithfully. 
And before her, it was Uncle Ed and Sylvia. And then they would sing happy birthday to you in the background, just absolutely faithful and committed. And still today, she continues that. But I remember, you know, they were sitting at the back of the church the one day, and, and we finished the service, and I walked to the back, and Ed and Sylvia were standing there going, yaha, yaha, young Pastor John, yaha. Amy told us that when you're on holiday, you had a beer. <laughs> now, those are the days, if you had a beer, you went straight to hell. Straight. It went, even if you add a little bit, you know. And what it was, the little tittle tale, you know, my daughter, was we bought ginger beer. And I shook it up and I made it all fizzy. And I poured it and I said, oh, I'm having a beer. So she was convinced I had a beer. <laughs> now, the more I'm trying to tell Ed and Sylvia, no, it was a beer. And I shook it up and made it. They said, Pastor, a ginger beer. Ginger beer. So they said, the more I'm trying to tell them, they're saying, Pastor John, you're digging a hole for yourself. You're digging a hole for yourself. You had a beer. Why do you feel the need to justify yourself, you know? So anyway, that's just a little story. But, but my kids knew, you know, that wasn't something that we did. Yeah. Why do they try to hide it? Yeah. And you know, we develop a relationship with God where you instinctively know what pleases Him. Amen. Or what He's not pleased with. Exactly. What you can do. And there's a lot that you can do. There's more that you can do than you can't do or shouldn't do. Are you following me, church? So it needs to be personal. And the part of the process that we need to know God better, we'll come on to it. Third one, knowing God requires involvement. Just referring back to this, it's really amazing to me that there's these crazy notions going around. Thomas Crella asked me if I would write something. I did do a, a teaching on it, a series on it some years ago. But there's a doctrine going around universalism, which is the universal salvation of all. Yes. And basically what they believe is that everybody is saved by the yes. blood of Jesus. They take certain random verses, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, they take it from Colossians where you forgave everyone their sins. You know, they take random verses and basically say the whole world is saved. Yeah. They just don't realize that they will. Then they push it further and they say, therefore, nobody will go to hell. Everybody's saved. They push it even further. And the one guy who was propounding this, the strongest, he had a big mega church, 5,000 members. Now he's a Catholic priest of a tiny little church. And uh, he pushed it further, and he was being questioned by one of the leading uh, theologians on a radio program, and they said, do you really believe this? And he said, yes. And he said, but what about sin? And he said, uh, the only people that are sinning are the born-again Christians that preach to the lost, because they suddenly make them aware of the fact that they're lost. So they are the ones that will go to hell, not the lost. Carlton Pearson. I'm 100% serious. 100% serious. So here it goes. So it goes even further. But no one, not anyone is going to ever stay in hell. The hyper-universalists say, because the verses that the Bible talks about the fact that God will redeem everything, is that the devil and demons are there only temporarily because those that go to hell are trained and taught basically by devils and demons and once they've gone through, it's kind of a bit of a hybrid Catholic doctrine as well. They'll come out the other side. And then eventually, even Satan and his demons will be saved and brought into heaven. 
<laughs> Andre, Andre says we might as well just stay here then. No, I am serious. This is a doctrine. And can I just tell you something a little bit further? Please be on the watch out for it because there are preachers, even some that have preached here, who are preaching that doctrine. That's why they don't preach here anymore. In other words, everybody will be saved. What about all those verses, to him that believes, to him that believes, to him that believes, to him that believes? What about those verses? They don't see those verses. And it suits people, really suits people really well, that particular doctrine. But listen, knowing God, going back to that, knowing God, you see, they developed one area where they know God as a God of love. That's it. They've not discovered that God is a God of righteousness and a God of justice. Balanced out by the fact that He's a God of grace and mercy, but the answer has been provided to them that believe. Is that okay, church? So I needed to put that in. So knowing God requires involvement. Involvement. So now listen. Let's go to Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. You're going to take it a little bit further. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Is everybody following me? In Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. And Adam lay with his wife Eve. Let's go to the King James translation. Because Adam lay with his wife, you know what that's referring to. And then Cain was born. And Adam knew his wife. So let's use the Old Testament words, all right? And listen, it says, and Adam knew Eve, his wife. Everybody say knew. So the Bible uses that word of knowing to describe the very intimate relationship, the union between a husband and wife that is deep and personal and intimate on every level. And in a way, not in a crass way, not in a you know, sort of risque way, not in a physical way, but that kind of union becomes the pattern for us knowing God. And so, and Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I've begotten a man from the Lord, or with the help of the Lord. So, but let's continue. So let's go and look at Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 to 20. So how deep is our relationship with God? Because the deeper our relationship with God, the stronger we shall be and the more exploits we shall do. So listen to this, Hosea 2, verses 19 and 20. And I will betroth thee unto me. Betroth is a marriage term. Everybody following me? So again, again the grace of God, because he's saying, I will do it. I will do it. I will marry you. Have you ever considered, church, that you have a marriage relationship from God's perspective. What is your response? Our response needs to be a marriage relationship. You know, I often say it, there's so many people that want to occasionally date the church, but they want a marriage commitment from us. In other words, we'll see you once a year, but then when something happens, I must set everything aside, everybody else aside, and I must give you full attention and back you with all the resources of the church. But hey, you only flirted with the church. Isn't that right? And there's so many that just flirt with God. They just have the occasional date with God. But they want this eternal commitment from God. And when something goes wrong, they tears, snort and trine and saying, where was God? Well, where were you with God? So it requires us to be involved with Him. 
Come on, church. And so he says, I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment. The other word for it in the NIV is justice. I'll betroth you unto me in righteousness and in justice and in loving kindness and in mercy. That's the kind of relationship that God is saying, from my side, that's what you have. So come on, church, from our side, what does he have? To know him better. So listen, that knowing, that deep, intimate relationship that a husband and wife has is carried over into the New Testament. And sometimes we don't recognize it. But listen to this, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. It says this, by this we know, everybody say we know, that we have come to know him. Everybody say to know him. And that's that deep, intimate knowledge with him. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. He says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. That changes that thing altogether. Because you know, a lot of people try and do his commandments, you know, and uh, basically we try and do the thing to prove the love. No, no, no. If you love him because you know him, you will easily do what he says. So the starting point is knowing him, because to know him is to love him. Is that okay? We had um, a couple join this church many years ago, and uh, the husband came for a while, and uh, the wife was still very much from the Dutch Reform background. And so, you know, our kind of church was just a little bit new and different. He was used to it, and uh, he eventually persuaded to come to church, and she was sitting in the church, And I was here preaching and teaching and things like this. And and I don't know why he did it, but he came and told me. And I said, wow, it's lovely. Because he said to me, I would love my wife to join this church. And I said to him, let's just pray, you know. But let God do it. Don't pressure, don't force. Just let God do it. And anyway, eventually she came to church. And then at the end of the first service, she left to go and sit in the car. And uh, he came up and I said, it was lovely to see your wife with you. And he said, yeah, but she hates your guts. The whole time she said, I'm sitting there, she said, she kept saying, I just want to go up. She said, no, Afrikaans, I just want to go up and punch that man's face in. And I looked at him and I said, just give her time because to know me is to love me. I said, she'll discover I'm really awesome. <laughs> That's why people want to punch my face sometimes because... I sound arrogant, but I just said, just give it time. And they moved on, but I mean, that lady just came to absolutely love me, you know. I don't think she knows that her husband told me. <laughs> she wanted to come punch my face. And she said, no, just give it time to know me is to love me. By this we know, if we know God, we'll love him. We'll love him. Sometimes we try to fall in love with God, get to know God, get involved, spend time with him. Listen to, this is a comparative verse. Listen to this. It says, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So listen to 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, three chapters later. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. So in other words, what John is telling us, to know him means to love him. Because if we know him, we'll keep his commandments. If we love him, we'll keep his commandments. So what is eternal life? Where does it come from? Knowing God. 
eternal life comes from knowing God and his son, Jesus Christ. So if I just say God, you understand, and his son, Jesus Christ. So can I make a statement? We try to love him, get to know him. To know him is to love him. Number two, very often we try to have life without the knowledge of God. To know God is to have eternal life. Come on, church. If we want the dynamic life of God manifest in our lives, we need to know God better. All right. So what we're going to do, just very quickly, let's just have a look at a couple of things. So it takes a little bit of involvement. I'm going to read to you some things that it's between J.R. Packer and uh, John Stott. Listen to what they say. Knowing God is more than holding facts in our head. Knowing Him requires our mind, but it goes beyond that and also includes our will and our emotions. Yeah. J. Packer, James Packer says, To get to know another person, you have to commit yourself to his company and his interests and be ready to identify yourself with his concerns. Can I say that again? To get to know another person, you have to commit, in other words, get involved, to commit yourself to his company and to his interests and be ready to identify yourself with his concerns. Therefore, knowing God is deeply emotional. You can't just know God intellectually and feel nothing with your heart. That's why Jeremiah says, they will know me with their whole heart. So until we actually do life, this is J.R. Packer, says this, until we do life with God, it's all a theory. It has to impact on our lives. So here's the process. Number one, receive the grace. So I'm going to just read a couple of verses So as we wind down. So receive the grace of God. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 talks about this incredible grace of God, where he says, For God who said, Let light, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. I mean, it's so powerful. In the first creation, it was all dark. Darkness was over the face of the deep. God spoke out of the darkness. That's why the Bible tells us that God dwells in thick darkness. In other words, he's unknowable until he reveals himself. Is that okay? So there was thick darkness, and God spoke out of the darkness and said, let there be light. And Paul says, in exactly the same way, our hearts were clothed with darkness. He says there was chaos, you know, in the face of the deep. You know, the earth was void, it was empty, and it was full of chaos. That was the state of our hearts. But God spoke out of darkness and spoke into the darkness in our lives, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. There's the glory of God again. But in the face of Christ, isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? Right through the Old Testament, no one can see the face of God and live, but it gives us the light of the glory of God, this knowledge in the face of Christ. So in other words, we can have face to face with God and not die, but live. Come on, church. And so when we look into the face of Christ, we see the glory of God. We see all who God is. When Jesus healed, he was revealing the Father's desire to heal. When he raised the dead, he was revealing the Father's desire to raise the dead. When he fed the multitude, 
when he wept, he was revealing the Father. Everybody following? So receive the grace of God, number one. Number two. Number two, Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. Listen to this. So this, I say, well, let me read it in the NIV. So I tell you this and insisted on it in the Lord. Now he's writing to Christians. That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Church, can I just touch on something quick? The next time you short a finance and there's more month than money, and you think you're going under and you're not going to make it, that's futile thinking. There are so many areas in our lives where we are futile in our thinking. Paul is talking to the Christians and saying, don't live like the Gentiles in the futility of their thinking. Surely, if God is God, listen, and that's why he says, they did not glorify God as God. Come on, that's the time to start glorifying God as God. Are you following me, church? I messaged one of our pastors who was very much on my heart, and I just said, how are you going? And he said, I'm not well. So I messaged him back, and I said, are you sick? Can I pray for you? And he said, no, I'm not well financially. So I sent him a nice long message back and said, you can be well financially, but go back and look at your giving record. Go back and review your giving. When last did you tithe? When last did you give an offering? When last did you sow? It was quiet for a few days. And then after a couple of days, I saw he sowed an amount. So I sent him a WhatsApp. I said, looks like you're getting better financially. <laughs> Come on, church. I mean, he was in futile thinking. Come on, God's given us principle. We know God. Come on, church. And so respond to the grace. So we're reading verse 18. Being darkened in their understanding. Listen to this, church. Being separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Church, this is a powerful verse. Let's just hold it there. Let's just read and ponder. Oh, my goodness. This is amazing. Look at this. Paul tells us, when our thinking becomes futile, it's because or it leads to a darkened understanding. And all the while, God is saying, I've betrothed you to me. Let me give you revelation on who I am. Is that okay? So listen, you can't know God if you don't do life with Him. So it's not just for your quiet time in the morning. Oh, I just know quiet time. Then you walk out and you go to work and then, oh, hell breaks loose. This is now a time for you to apply your quiet time in the noisy time, in the loud time. Now you've got to start doing life. And start employing his principles. Come on. It's very easy for our understanding to become darkened in an area. It separates us from the life of God. To know God is to be strong, powerful, to be able to do great exploits. Isn't that amazing? Come on. Healing for us should be so simple for ourselves and for others. Because we know God. Because we glorify God, because He's the healer, He's the provider, He's gracious, He's merciful. So we can become separated 
from the life of God, and it just simply because we don't know Him. To know God is to have eternal life. All right. So let's go on. So what we were talking about, the second thing is, the Word is important. Know Him through the Word. So, so know Him through the Word. You could actually put that Ephesians verse under that one. Number three, know Him and seek Him in prayer. When I talk about prayer, I include dialogue with God. I'm including worship with God. I'm not just talking about monologue where you just quickly rush in and just, God, I need this, God, I need this, please, God, help. God, I need this, God, I need this. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about prayer where you speak to God, you listen to God. It includes worship. Are you all good? So I want to just show you what the Apostle Paul did for the Ephesians. Let's look at it. Ephesians 1, 17 to 19. Ephesians, I love the book of Ephesians. So listen to what the Apostle Paul says, and he says it from verse 15, that he is continually praying for the Ephesian Christians. But listen to this. And he says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, so how do we do pray? Do we pray? Must we pray God, God Almighty, Yahweh, uh, Yeshua, Moshiach, just leave those ones out. Just uh, you, because you're English speaking or whatever. Yeah. God, you know, just pray Father. Yeah. Okay, just pray Father. You can even say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. It's simple. Is that okay? It's not wrong to even say, oh God. That's right. so it's all there. Okay. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father. Yes, see, see to the praise of His glory. Listen to this. May give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Yeah. Are you listening, church? Yes. That word revelation, apocalypto, yeah. may give you the spirit who will unveil, who will disclose, who will reveal. Yeah. See, the Holy Spirit is a revealing spirit, but it's important for us to receive His grace that He takes the initiative to know us and wants to be known, to get to know him more in the descriptions of him in his word, the outlined principles we get to know him. But it's also good to go to him in prayer. And like the apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesian Christians, and I want you to know he prayed the similar things for the Colossians, the Philippians, the Galatians. He was a man of prayer. And he prays here, God, give them a spirit of wisdom. Now, that word spirit there can be capital S or little s. Different translations have it different ways. In other words, the Holy Spirit is a spirit of wisdom and revelation. But the more you get it, your spirit, your spirit, you will have a spirit of wisdom and revelation, and you will find it easy to get to know God. Why would Paul pray God give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation? In order to unveil. So that you what? May know Him better. Everybody say, knowing God better. So there's the key verse. Is that okay? So know God better. So in 2022, we're going to accept the grace of God in that he's making all the approaches because he knows us. Secondly, we're going to be people of the word. Thirdly, we're going to be people of prayer. Come on, we're even going to pray for ourselves and say, God, I need a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that glorious Holy Spirit. That's why I try and start every service with you praying in tongues because Paul tells us that you utter mysteries with your spirit. Amen? 
your spirit is being engaged, communicating with the spirit of your mind. And the next time you sit in church and Pastor John says something, or you're listening to someone on YouTube or wherever, another preacher, or you're reading the word and something jumps out and grabs you, you probably prayed that into being when you prayed in the spirit. Come on, church. We need to pray. And Paul says that you may know him better. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know. Then he talks about hope to which you called and all those kind of things. So, but listen, those are the outcomes of our salvation. But the first thing Paul says, you need to know God better. When you know him, you'll know the hope. You'll know your rich inheritance. You'll know the incomparable great power for us who believe. But the first thing is you need to know him, the glorious Father, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Number four, depend on the Spirit. I don't know if you've ever noticed how many of you have asked the Lord to bless you with at least a million rand, if not millions. How many? Come on, let's be honest. We even help God and buy lotto tickets. Yeah. No, no, I do. I do. You know, I know it's discriminatory and all that kind of thing, but I'm going to just tell it anyway because it is a joke. It's like this blonde Christian girl is praying, saying, Jesus, please help me to win the lotto. This went on for several months. And then one day, the Lord spoke to her and said, listen, my darling, I would love to help you, but help me. Just at least buy a ticket. Because I'm not advocating gambling. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. It's a joke. All right. Now, how many of you, because I think it was every hand, isn't that right? Come on, be honest, be honest, be honest. How many of you prayed for millions? All right, all right. Okay, how many of you have received it? <laughs> not by faith. No, I'm not talking about literally money's in your bank. Okay, all right. Okay, here's another thing. Here's another thing. Show of hands, come on. How many of you have ever prayed and said, Lord, teach me patience? Okay, which one did he answer first quickest? God, teach me patience. And then he sends the most obstropolous, obnoxious son of a gun you've ever met in your whole life. And now you're learning patience. Don't you see that God is more committed to your character than your comfort? Isn't that right? So, I mean, you know, those are not the kind of prayers you should be praying. Joking, you should be praying. (laughs) But it's just, Lord, help me with my anger issue. And you've got somebody that comes that knows how to press all your buttons. You know, and there's alarms going off. This person, you know. This person that just walks in the room and your hackles stand up. You know, your blood pressure immediately goes. You can feel your face getting red, you know. They just smile and you want to... Slap it off their, <laughs> she would have slap it off their faces, you know, you know. It's like that lady, you know. I don't like your pastor. I just want to go up and punch his face out. There was something about, you know. I had an elder once, and he came to me and he said, also, it was the early days. I did tell him it's because you don't know me, as well. But he basically said, yeah, you're not the greatest pastor. You're not the best pastor, and all this kind of thing. One of my elders, years ago, not one of my elders now. Because if it was now, I'd fire him. <laughs> so then what are you doing being an elder? So anyway, but those days, I said to him, listen, brother. I said, I'm exactly what you need. 
And maybe you are just who somebody needs, and that's why you irritate the poo-poos out of them. And we don't try to be a thorn in the flesh. We don't try to be the thorn in the flesh. But the thing is, God positions people and allows to deal with us. So we need to depend on the Holy Spirit because this is doing life with God and getting to know Him and learning how to live like Him. So depend on the Holy Spirit. And then we're coming to a close. And then the last one, I basically answered it. Live it. Just live it. You know, I heard a famous sportsman say it the other day. And I want you to know, I said it first. I said it many years ago. I did. The best way to learn tennis is to go on the court, get the racket, get the ball, get somebody, and just start hitting the ball. You can sit in the classroom and great to go and learn the rules and all of this kind of thing and the length and the breadth of the court and the height of the fence and all that kind of thing. But until you actually get out there and start playing tennis, when you're playing tennis, you learn more about tennis. When you start to live the life, receiving the grace of God, being personal with God, being involved with God, and you start to live the life, you start to discover God. Is that okay? You will discover that he's never left you, never forsaken you, never abandons you. You will discover his faithfulness. And often you have to move far enough away from incidents in life to look back and to realize, oh yes, God was with me. He's true to his word. Is that okay? So live it. Live the life with God. Last verse, 2 Peter chapter 1. And in verse 3. In fact, from verse 1 is awesome. Verse 2, oof, it's amazing. Through these, he's given us very great and precious promises through our knowledge of him. Yes. Oh, well, we might as well read from verse 1. Simon Peter, servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Isn't that awesome? There's a whole sermon there. Verse 2. Grace and peace to be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Sometimes, I mean, I know you've seen it. It was a bumper sticker. No God, K-N-O-W. No peace, K-N-O-W. No God, N-O. No God, no, N-O, peace. Sure, amazing. Verse (laughs) 3. His divine power has given us a few things. Something, everything we need for life and godliness through, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything. Come on, church. I think I can rest my case now. That our knowledge of Christ, our knowledge of God brings us into a place of understanding his divine power And his great and precious promises. That would be the next verse. That by them we might participate in the divine nature. In other words, we'd become like him. But in other words, here it is. That we will discover everything that we need for our physical, material lives. Number one. And number two, for our spiritual godly lives. Our knowledge of him. So this here, knowing God and knowing him better 
will bring us to a place where we are strong. Does it make more sense? And where we will do great exploits for God. Amen. I want you to pray a prayer. I want you to pray for yourself. You know, most times we're praying for others. But I want you to pray for yourself. I want you to pray, God, this year, I want to know you better. I want to become more deeply and intimately acquainted with the wonders outflowing from your being. If that's Philippians 3.10, if you read the Amplified Bible. But Father, we need to know you. And I want to know you. I want to know you better. Lord, I want to become more progressively, deeply, intimately acquainted with you. Lord, I want to thank you for your great grace. That it's all your initiative. That you know me and you want me to know you. And you want me to know you better. So you've taken all the steps. You've put everything in place. You sent your son. And you committed to him everything. He knows you. You know him. But then he chooses us to know you, Father, and to know him. Lord, you've committed to us your word, the storybook of God, where we can read. Sometimes it's explicit. Sometimes it's implicit in stories of other people's lives, hidden principles. But we can start to discover this wonderful God who's now our Father. Lord, we want to serve you with our whole hearts, all of our hearts. We don't want to be futile in any area in our thinking. We don't want any area of our our understanding to be darkened. And that's why you said in regard to evil and sin be infants but but as far as understanding be matured men Lord we want to come into a full stature in our understanding and maturity we want to have a mature understanding of God Lord we want to have a personal relationship with you and live with you involved in all of our lives so Lord this year we're going to respond to your grace and read your word and absorb your word we're going to pray commune with you. We're going to pray for ourselves. We're going to depend on your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Come. Not only now, not only for this next week, but for this entire year and onwards, Holy Spirit, come and teach us. Jesus said that you would teach us. You'd be the teacher. You'd be the guide. Holy Spirit, come and lead us into an intimate knowledge with God. Lord, we don't want to know you at a distance. We repent if we just flirt with you. We repent if we just occasionally date you. Father, we want to respond in that betrothed relationship. Bring you into everyday life. Teach us, lead us, guide us, Holy Spirit. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, so I speak your blessing and blessing over your people. Lord, may they come to know you as they've never known you. Father, may they discover you in ways they've never discovered. Lord, may they have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And then with it, Lord, I want to add discernment. Lord, that in the good times and even in sometimes the tough times, they will discern, be able to discern with wisdom where you are and how you're involved 
in what you want them to apply and what principle you want them to evoke and to put into place and do. Lord, I bless them this year in living life with God. Not independent of you, but with you, in union with you, in step with you, in tune, in time, in touch with you, I pray in the name of Jesus. So I bless them, Lord, with your peace. Bless them with your joy. Bless them with your health and the perfection in their bodies. I bless them, Lord, with prosperity. And yes, Lord, may you answer those prayers of millions, of provision. And Lord, maybe it will come as job opportunities or business ideas, however it is. Bless them supernaturally, Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. I thank you for it, Lord. I commit this awesome church to you. Those watching on live stream, I speak the same blessing over them. Lord, and those that will watch later, I speak blessing over them. May you come into an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and God our Father, the glorious Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you will be able to glorify God as God and give thanks to God for Him being God and faithful in your life, in the name of the Lord Jesus. So I declare you blessed as you go into this week, in Jesus' name. We all agreed and said, Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you. The Lord give you strength every day. Strength, strength. May you be like hmm, Joshua and Caleb. May you look at 2022. And even if you see mountains, you'll say, My strength is like Caleb. Give me the hill country. In the name of Jesus, bless you. Amen.